This is the first Sunday in Advent, so we'll start off with an Advent hymn. It comes from the Cantus Volcom Chamber Choir and it is Heart the Ground Sound, the Saviour Comes. <laughs> Cantus Volcom Chamber Choir with Heart the Glad Sound. That's actually Scottish paraphrase number 39, but uh, I don't think they sang it so cheerfully in the old days. Here are the St Michael singers and a hymn written by Cecil Francis Alexander, especially for St Andrew's Day. It is Jesus Calls Us O'er the Tumult of Our Life's Wild Restless Sea.
Echoing the call by Jesus to the fishermen disciples, the St. Michael singers, and Jesus calls us o'er the tumult of our life's wild, restless sea. Now David will introduce our piece about St. Andrew. Deirdre Davis lives in Pitlochry. She was an actress in the Glasgow soap opera River City. Deirdre has prepared and recorded the story of St. Andrew for us. St Andrew's Day is tomorrow, November the 30th. The 30th of November is St Andrew's Day, and here in Scotland we celebrate the occasion with Cayleys, music, eating and drinking whisky. St Andrew's Day is now a bank holiday in Scotland, and the St Andrew's flag, the saltire, is our national emblem and is recognised throughout the world. But just who was St Andrew, and how did he end up being adopted as Scotland's patron saint? Well, Andrew was one of Jesus' twelve disciples. In fact, he's known as Christ's first disciple. He was a fisherman, along with his brother Simon Peter, who worked their nets on the Sea of Galilee. Originally, Andrew became a disciple of John the Baptist. But when John saw Jesus and proclaimed, Look, the Lamb of God, Andrew decided to follow Jesus, and in doing so became the very first Christian evangelist, as Andrew hurried to his brother Peter and told him, we found the Messiah. Andrew then features prominently in Jesus' ministry. In the feeding of the 5,000, or the story of the loaves and the fishes, it's Andrew the little boy approaches with his meagre meal. Andrew's the one who tells Jesus just what there is to feed the crowds with. Maybe from this we could guess that Andrew was the kind of man that a young boy could speak to without fear, and maybe that Andrew had the faith to know just how much Jesus could do with so little. After Jesus' death, it's believed that Andrew preached the gospel travelling along the Black Sea and into Hungary and Poland and across Asia Minor and Greece. He was martyred by crucifixion in Patras in southern Greece in around 60 AD. Legend has it that he requested to be crucified on a traversed or X-shaped cross as he deemed himself unworthy to die as Jesus had. It's said he remained alive on this cross bound hand and foot, not nailed, for two days, during which time he continued to preach the gospel to the people gathered round. Andrew is credited with bringing Christianity to Georgia and Romania, and in Cyprus there's a tradition that Andrew's ship ran aground and he was washed up on the shores there. Malta too has a similar legend. In fact, the relics of Andrew, or Saint Andrew as he was by now, are still to be found in Greece, Italy, Scotland and Poland. Shrines to this enigmatic martyred apostle are dotted throughout Europe and Asia Minor. But arguably, it's a Scotland's patron saint that he's best known. But here's the thing. Andrew never actually set foot in Scotland. So how did he come to be so important to us? 
The most enduring legend is the 4th century story of the Greek monk St. Rule, who responded to a dream where an angel told him to rescue the relics of St. Andrew and take them to the ends of the earth. St. Rule obeyed and was then shipwrecked off the coast of Fife in Scotland and was washed up with the relics at the town we now know as, yes, St. Andrew's. Around about this time, the Scots king, Angus II, had a dream about St. Andrew. The night before he was due to do battle against the Angles, or English, as we now call you, King Angus prayed for victory and vowed that if he was victorious, he would appoint St. Andrew Scotland's patron saint. As the hour of battle approached, the vastly outnumbered Scots army saw a strange cloud formation in the sky above. It was a saltire cross, and King Angus and his men immediately saw this as a sign that God was with them. They went into battle confident and bold and won the day. So Scotland got a patron saint and a national flag in one fell swoop. St Andrew's Day has been celebrated ever since. During the 11th century, the national festival was called Andrew Mass, and in later centuries it was common for farm workers and labourers to go andrewing when they'd hunt rabbits and hares and then feast and drink in celebration. In 1320, in the Declaration of Our Broth, St Andrew was declared our patron, our protector. But Scotland isn't the only country to claim him. St Andrew is also the patron saint of the Ukraine, Romania, Greece, Amalfi in Italy, Luca in Malta, Esquiera in Portugal and Barbados. He's also, and this is a mystery, the patron saint of the United States Army Rangers. Andrew's story shows a man with the curiosity to seek and follow his saviour and the strength to face hardship and ultimately be martyred for his beliefs. He was a man of integrity and faith. In fact, putting all the myths and legends aside, maybe it's the character of this apostle that has carved such an enduring place for him in the Scots psyche. A no-nonsense working man who knew the truth when he heard it. From the beginning, Andrew was approachable and faithful with a quiet, but profound belief in how he should live. And as Scots, I think maybe that's what we most admire in each other and aspire to. And surely that's the case for all of us. Scots, English, Irish, Welsh. In fact, all people of integrity and faith, wherever they live. And that's why St Andrew belongs to us. Because he is us at our very best. And that was Deirdre Powery. And now a song inspired by the story of how Jesus called Andrew, Peter, James and John to leave their fishing gear and to follow him full time, so to speak. This song originates in Spain, written by a Spanish priest. The tune translates as Fisher of Men and the title is Lord, You Have Come to the Seashore. It's sung by Tim Lewis.
at your side, I will seek other shores. Lord, see my goods, my possessions. In my boat you find no power, no wealth. Will you accept them, my nets and Seek other shores. Lord, take my hands and direct them. Help me spend myself in seeking the lost. Returning love for the love you gave me. set upon me, gently smiling, you have spoken my name, all I long for I have found by the water, at your side I will seek other shores, Lord. Tim Lewis there, and Lord, you have come to the seashore. I first heard that one on the television on a Roman Catholic service, actually. Larry Gentis has been producing a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today, he tells the story of the prodigal son from the point of view of the younger brother. Well, I'm not a bad sort. It's just that farm life doesn't suit me. The big city with lots of action. That's me. Feeding chickens, building paddocks for the sheep, leading them in and out, in and out. To me, that's just boring. The thing is, I was born on this farm, and that's what this life offers. 
<laughs> Not for me, I can tell you. Now, my older brother, him, oh, he likes that stuff. He's always up early, never late, working hard. Why, he never even notices if he misses a meal sometimes. Oh, that's so not me. Dad's even worse, if you can believe it. One day, I'd had enough. I finally reached the end of my rope and went to Dad and asked him if I could get my share of the estate right away instead of waiting for, uh, well, um, you know what. He didn't say anything. He just stared at me with a kind of sad look on his face, a stare that seemed to last a long time. To my surprise, he said, yes. Well, maybe it was because he'd seen that I was unhappy with the farm life. Well, I don't know, but that just wasn't very important to me at the time. Well, I didn't let any grass grow under the money. I packed up everything, and a few days later... Off I went to the big city I'd always dreamed of. Didn't take long at all for me to have as many friends as I wanted as I paid round after round of drinks. Ha <laughs> ha! I had my pick of girls who were all too ready and willing. I also just loved gambling. It's one of my passions. My inheritance money didn't last as long as I thought it would. Funny enough, as my money became more and more scarce, so did my friends. One by one, they started deserting me until I was completely alone and broke. So I had to find a job. But another thing happened that I didn't see coming. There was a drought and work was really hard to find. Oh, finally, I found a job feeding, get this, pigs. Me, a Jew, feeding pigs. To make things worse, the bosses were so tight, they watched me to make sure I didn't even eat the fig pig's food. My life was awful, and suddenly it hit me. This was all my fault. I'd behaved selfishly with no thought of others, especially the hard-earned money I'd just wasted. I realized that the servants at our farm had plenty to eat, and here I was starving and feeding pigs. I decided then to go back to the farm. But I didn't think it would be received very well with all I'd done, so I thought I'd ask Dad to just make me like one of the servants. So, I started the long walk home, and it gave me plenty of time to think. I rehearsed carefully what I'd say to Dad, hoping he'd let me live on the farm again. I'd hated that life before, but now it seemed like paradise compared to what I'd just lived through. I never gave a thought to my older brother, and how he'd take it when I returned. When the farm was in view, I saw my dad in the fields manning the tiller with two oxen pulling it. My heart broke. He saw me immediately and started running towards me. I didn't know what his reaction would be, and I was terrified, hoping against all hope that he wouldn't reject me. When he was close, I cried out what I would re I'd rehearsed, that I'd sinned against him, didn't deserve to be called his son, and that I was sorry. But this time, I really, really meant it, because the full weight of what I'd done hit me. He didn't even seem to hear my words, and before I knew it, he grabbed me immediately with tears in his eyes. He called the servants and ordered them to prepare a huge feast for me. When we got home, he disappeared for a moment, returning with a new robe, new sandals, and a, a ring with the family seal on it. See, it's like this. I deserved to be disowned, cast out, rejected, but instead I was received accepted, and given the family seal, allowing me to trade in the family's name. Then there was music, more food than I could eat, and laughter. Oh, laughter! It had been so long since I'd heard the sound of laughter. 
Notice I said earlier that I hadn't considered my older brother. He refused to come into the feast. He was really angry that I'd behaved so badly, robbed my father and him, and when I came back, he felt that I was being rewarded for it. You know, I can't blame him. I was awful. I might have had the same reaction if the shoe were on the other foot. It's hard to forgive someone who's used you, stolen from you, and treated with contempt the things that are important to you. Tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to work hard to regain his trust in me. I know it's not going to be easy because at the end of the day, would you forgive me and trust me again, knowing all the things that I told you that I've done? Well, my father did. Yeah, this comes from Luke uh, chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. first saw the day and everything I've done has been to help you on the way but you took all that you wanted then at last you took your leave and traded off a kingdom for the lies that you've believed and although you've chosen darkness with its miseries and fears Although you've gone so far from me And wasted all these years Even though my name's been spattered By the mire in which you lie I'd take you back this instant If you turn to me and cry I don't care where you've been sleeping I don't Sin you could imagine that is stronger than my love. It's all yours if you'll come home again to me. And when you've come back to your senses. And you see who's been to blame Remember all the good things That were yours with just my name And then don't waste another thought Before you change the way you're bound I'll be running out to meet you If you'll only turn around Just turn around I don't care where you've been sleeping I don't care who's made your bed I already gave my life to set you free There's no sin you could imagine That is stronger than my love It's all yours to come home again I don't care where you've been sleeping I don't care who's made your bed Sin you could imagine that is stronger than my love.
San Francisco with one of his songs titled I Don't Care Where You've Been Sleeping. Now let's go over to David for our next piece. Larry Gentis has been producing a series of talks where he imagines himself to be a Bible character. Today he tells the story of the prodigal son from the point of view of the older brother. The older brother, Luke 15 verses 11 to 32. I'm a working man by nature. Sitting around idle doesn't suit me, and I'm only really happy when I see the sheep paddocks strong, protecting the herds and the crops growing in the fields and being ready for the next rains. I live on a successful farm owned by my father with my younger brother. Our father has worked hard to make sure the land continues to produce, and produce it does. I think I got my love for work and accomplishing things from our father. He's always looked ahead to the next cropping, the next rains, and the next calving in the herds. Our house is better than just livable. It's almost what you'd call a palace. But it's because father put his love into the property. He also put his love into us. I don't understand why my younger brother doesn't see things the way father and I do. He's lazy and selfish, never milking the cows when he says he will, not caring for the weeds in the fields, and it doesn't seem to bother him if a fence isn't strong anymore. But that's not the worst. He asked for his half of the inheritance and wanted it now. Our father still has 20 or 30 productive and active years to live. And he asks for the inheritance now? A word about our dad. I've never met a more loving man, and there could never be a better father. If you thought he was too soft or indulgent with us, you'd be wrong. He gave us the discipline we needed as part of the love he had for us. But this, I don't understand his decision regarding my younger brother. You remember he'd asked him for half of the inheritance? Well, he gave it to him. I know father was really hurt, but you know he never showed it to my brother. So, what do you think he did with it? Well, a few days later, he packed all his things and off he goes. Last I heard, he'd moved to a faraway city, so we couldn't know what he was doing. <laughs> or so he thought. Word reached us that he was spending all his money, father's money, on drinking, gambling and prostitutes, going to the best restaurants and hotels and wasting all the wealth we'd worked so hard to earn. Well, we're in a drought now and for two seasons we've not hardly had a drop of rain. It's hard for Father, but we have prepared for this. Although crops and herds have thinned, we still have enough to feed ourselves and our laborers. Some travelers passed by the other day and told us that the region where my brother lived was hard hit by, the, by this drought. They also spoke of a rich young man who was now in beggar's clothes because he'd squandered all his money and now there was a drought and he was in a bad way. Is it my brother they're talking about? Hit <laughs> it, serve him right. One day when I was in the fields plowing, I heard a tumult like a raucous party happening from our house. When I went to see what it was all about, my servants told me that my brother had returned and my father was throwing a massive party to celebrate. You know, this made me beyond angry and I refused to go in, especially when they told me that my brother had been given a beautiful robe, his feet washed and sandals covering them. And then uh, a ring, really Really, I mean, a ring with a household seal giving him the right to buy and sell in the name of our domain. 
to say I was livid just does not describe it. Well, Father came out and pleaded with me to come in and rejoice with them. Respectfully, I answered that this son of his, my brother, devoured the inheritance we'd worked so hard for, whilst I never slacked off working hard, and I never got a thing for it. Yet, when my brother came home after wasting everything we'd worked for, a feast was prepared for him? Well, I'll never forget his reply. We must celebrate because this son of mine was dead, and now he's alive. He was lost, and now he's found. I didn't really understand what he meant by this. He was lost, and now he's found. All I could see was that I'd worked so hard for so many years, and here's this horrible person that that is my brother and his son that didn't do anything to help us, but did everything to hurt us, and then he comes back and Dad throws a party for him? Anyway, I think what he's really wanting me to do is to forgive my brother after all this. What do you think? Would you forgive him? Our father sure did. And he was hurt a lot more than I. And there's a lesson on forgiveness for us and a challenge too, I guess. That was Larry Gentis. We're going to go back to music, though. We started with a song for Advent, and here's another one. It's Dave Clifton and the choirs of Peterborough Cathedral and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel.
Clifton and the choirs of Peterborough Cathedral and O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Here's Daniel O'Donnell with an old gospel song. It's inspired by the story of the prodigal son. It's softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Jesus 
Softly and Tenderly, sung by, by Dan O'Donnell. I see that Softly and Tenderly was written as long ago as 1880, 140 years ago, but it's still popular in the country gospel repertoire. But let's get back to David. The Three Vicars, Reverends Richard Coles, Kate Botley and Giles Fraser, talk about Christmas. This is part of a series where we shall hear one episode for each Sunday in Advent. I wish it could be Christmas every day. Now, that's not a phrase that drops very commonly from the lips of clergy towards the end of the year. I'm joined by two colleagues, by the Reverend Kate Botley and the Reverend Canon Giles Fraser. All of us have form when it comes to Christmas, but I'm wondering, Kate, there's something about you that suggests to me that a pair of novelty antlers would work for you. Do you love Christmas? Um, oh, there was too much of a pause there, really, wasn't there, to not tell the truth. Um, no. Oh, okay. I know. Okay, let me let me let me explain. I love Christmas. I love the actual day itself because I don't I don't know about you two, but actually by Christmas it's all done. You know, Christmas Day after about eleven o'clock or so, you've got nothing else unless you've got a church that is dedicated to St Stephen. Yeah. So you can pretty much kick back and relax. Or that Christmas Day is on a Saturday, which, which is the worst happen. thing in the world yeah. for a clergy person. I love Christmas. What I find really tricky is that we peak too soon, as far as I'm concerned. So when as clergy... You, you mean church? No, I don't. I mean those people that we're here to serve. Um, yeah, I, so for me, <laughs> the thing that really gets me... OK, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really nail this down. I don't like people to take the Christmas trees down on Boxing Day. That's what upsets me. Would you last till Candlemas? Yeah, absolutely, till February. Definitely. You? When's the greenery... Do you have the greenery up to your child? Yeah, no, no, I like, I like... I love the Christmas tree. So, about three years ago, I asked my daughter and kids if they would decorate the Christmas tree. And that was a big mistake, because my daughter was at Goldsmiths and Fine Art College. <laughs> and so she decided, and I let them do it in the day, and I came back... My daughter had spray-painted tampons and had used those as Christmas decorations. And when the ladies of the parish came in to look at the vicar's Christmas tree, it took some explanation. It invites a very interesting parish discussion on the virgin birth, perhaps, (laughs) doesn't it? (laughs) I love Christmas. I sort of even love secular Christmas, I have to say. I sort of poo-poo it a bit. I love the whole mood and the sort of drawing in, wintry type of thing, and the way that's sort of taken up. Do you have hookah in Newington Butts? That sort of thing, yeah, we like fire. And when I was at St Paul's, Christmas was a sort of industrial thing. You know, you had to do... 30 carol services, and I was absolutely sick of it by the end of it. But the great thing about where I am now is that I only have a few carol services, so I absolutely love them. Well, this is exactly my point. It's actually not Christmas that's the problem, is it? It's the run-up to it. You know, when it comes to the Dibley episode where she has eight Christmas dinners in a day, that, as far as I'm concerned, is a documentary. It's not a drama. I remember on my fourth Christmas dinner one one week, because the schools all have their Christmas dinners on the same day. So if you've got a few schools in your parish, you end up having to have four Christmas dinners. That's actually true. And there's only so much enthusiasm you can muster for away in a manger again, right? So you sat next to somebody who's going, oh, isn't it lovely? No, it's hideous. I I mean, I can find I'm sort of conflicted about it because on the one hand, I was in a church before finding it in Knightsbridge. Again, we had 30 carol services. And to be honest, Heart the Herald Angels sing 
two goes is plenty for me. 30 goes is an awful... Are you having a bash at the desk camp, Father? No, I've, I have a theory about that. You know how the spider plants and cockroaches are the only things that survive a nuclear explosion? <laughs> I think the desk camp to a little town of Bethlehem <laughs> as well. There is something, isn't there, about midnight mass, a little town of Bethlehem and people, creaky old sopranos, remembering from childhood the desk camp. I, I really like it. I really like that, because I can't do the desk camp. So I try really hard to do it, just so that people... And it's turn. heresy, by the way, that hymn. Shouldn't be allowed. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead, Godhead see. See. It's not a veiling. It's the real thing. He's a person. Oop, so, sixpence in Giles. I know. So it's like, <laughs> I that we should ban that hymn Are for you, heresy. You don't preach that Christmas sermon, which poo-poos Father Christmas, do you? But, no, I don't. I do have the sort of, you know, we all have a number of different Christmas sermons, but they all sort of converge <laughs> on one. And my Christmas sermon usually involves finding someone in the congregation with a baby. Yeah, I do that one. That and makes them cry every time. And you get so the baby. Obvious. So obvious. <laughs> makes them cry every single time. Do you do, oh, don't yeah. you? The Paris. baby at the back of the carol service, the people that you never see have just had a baby, so they brought the baby for Christmas yeah, for the first... Right. And you go to the back and go, halfway through this sermon, I'm going to come over and knit your baby. Is that all right? And they go, yeah, that's fine. So you stand at the front and you go, you know, what is it really all about? You know, is it about the tree? Is it about the presents? Is it about the... And they go, no. It's about this. And you walk down the silent church down the aisle, collect the baby and bring it to the front and hold it. And there's not a dry eye in the house. And you say, this is what God looks like. (laughs) That's it. That's what you do. Just crank it up. Just... I don't let them leave church till they've cried. That's how it works. I don't think my midnight mass sermon is preached until I've talked about the child that is born to die. <laughs> I've got a Christmas jumper with that on. I've got a picture of the nativity on and it says, spoiler alert, he dies. It's my favourite. <laughs> and we'll be hearing more from Richard Cold, Kate Botley and Giles Fraser next Sunday. But here now are the carpenters with a reminder of why Jesus came. He came here for me. Mm-hmm.